Well, hey, if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17 this morning. Um, And we are continuing our series called Challenged Values. Challenged Values, where we're looking at uh, each of our five core values here at Kernan. And we're looking at them one by one. So you can see these on the screen now. I won't read each of them to you right now, but we're taking a week at a time to go through each of these one by one because we do believe here at Kernan these core values of ours are very important to the health of our church. We believe that these values serve really as kind of the guardrails, you could say, that keep us on the road, the road to pursuing the vision that we believe God has given us to pursue. So just a couple of weeks ago, I preached that vision statement to you that we've adopted uh, back in 2020, and so we're four years into pursuing that now. And so I I hope you were here for that. If not, you can go back online and see that sermon. But but these values are important, right? They really do serve as the guardrails that will keep us from going off the road or getting distracted or, or going too far to the left or too far to the right. They keep us centered on the gospel and centered on who we need to be as a church. So Specifically, uh, in this series, we're looking at how these values will be challenged in different ways. So the point of this series is really to answer the question, how can we stay true to our values as a church in the face of different challenges that will come our way? Some of those challenges will be external, in other words, from the outside world that we're going to have to, you know, pers- uh, to deal with and, and address in different ways. And then a lot of the challenges will just be from, will be internal from our own uh, selfish hearts at times. And so today we are looking at how we can stay true to our second core value here at Kernan, which is this. We want to know what the Bible says and means. And this is derived exactly from our belief in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which I want to, to read to you now, and then I'll pray and ask the Lord to bless our message today. But let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to be here this morning. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, change the way we think about these things in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, we pray that you would truly help us to understand why it is that we should want to know what your word says and means. Give us that truth today through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Dr. George Barna is the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, and he conducted a survey in 2020 of American adults and found this, that 58%, 58% of American adults of those surveyed believe that moral truth is up to the individual to decide. So, in other words, 58% of Americans, American adults, agree with this statement from the survey. Identifying moral truth is up to each individual. There are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. 
Now, I think that number is pretty high, really. 58% say that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time. Barna says, from his research, he says, now we see that Americans have rejected the idea that God is truth and that the truth principles he has given for our good are reliable and relevant. As a nation, we are becoming increasingly self-reliant. We trust ourselves or our discoveries rather than the truth principles God provides, Barna says. So in other words, we are no longer looking to a transcendent being, right, above us, outside of ourselves, to define what is morally right or wrong. Our culture has shifted from looking outside of ourselves, above ourselves, to some kind of transcendent being, not necessarily the God of the Bible, but just some kind of standard given by some kind of God, right? So Americans in general, 58%, have now shifted from looking above and outside of ourselves to what? To now within ourselves, right? So there has been a significant shift. We now look, and I say we, of course, generally speaking, the general public, we now look within ourselves for this answer. What is the right thing to do in this situation? How do we define what is morally right or morally wrong? Now, I'm not going to try to turn this sermon into a philosophy lesson today, but for the sake of time, let me oversimplify it just a little bit for you, right? If anyone, if anyone ever says to you that they don't believe in absolute truth and an absolute standard of truth all you have to do is respond by asking well are you absolutely sure right (laughs) but do you see it right do you see the logical inconsistency you see to say there is no such thing as absolute truth that in and of itself is a self-defeating argument Because that statement is an absolute statement, right? You're saying with absolute, absoluteness that there is no absolute truth. So how can you even make that statement? So of course, the statement caves in on itself. It doesn't hold, it doesn't stand. But to reject the idea, nonetheless, people still believe this way, to reject the idea of there being an objective standard of truth in this world is really, it's really just intellectually lazy. It is. But even though logically this doesn't hold up, why are so many people in our society rejecting this idea of this absolute moral standard of right and wrong? And here's why. Here's why. It has everything to do with submitting to authority. That's really the crux of the matter. It has everything to do with submitting to authority. In other words, denying absolute truth is a quick an easy cop-out. It's a quick and easy cop-out for anyone who does not want to submit to this idea or this concept of an all-powerful transcendent being who will hold them accountable for their actions. Theologian R.C. Sproul once said, nobody is afraid of cosmic dust, right? If God does not exist, well, then you really have no reason to be afraid of any kind of judgment for your actions because therefore there is no standard of what is actually right and actually wrong. So in other words, people may say, well, I want to live a certain way. 
right? I want to live a certain way and I want to determine that way for myself. No one needs to tell me how I should live. So the quickest path to achieving this ultimate self-reliance, this ultimate self-autonomy is to just do away with the idea of God completely. Or, or we could say, well, I believe there is a God or I believe God exists, but if so, then I think he is a flexible God. I think he's flexible with his standards and so he still lets me choose what is right for me. But this way of thinking is really not as new as you may think. In John chapter 18, we read the historical account from when Jesus was standing trial before Pontius Pilate, the governor of Palestine at the time. And he was standing before Pilate, being tried before his crucifixion. And here's just a snippet of the dialogue between him and this Roman governor. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But look at Pilate's response. Pilate said to him, what is truth? I wish I could have been there to see Pilate's facial expression. When he looks at this innocent man, Jesus Christ, standing before him, saying he is truth, the embodiment of truth itself, and Pilate says, what is truth, right? I'm sure he had a snarky, sarcastic tone in his voice, on his face, you could probably see it. Why? Because it was an easy cop-out for Pilate. It's an easy cop-out for a guy who's about to kill an innocent man to just say, well, how do we know if this is right or wrong? Right? I mean, there's no, nobody could know for sure if this is right or wrong for me to sentence you to death. Pilate didn't want to have to answer to any idea of a transcendent authority over him who would hold him accountable for his actions that day. But it's not just Pilate. You may hear someone say, yeah, I think he has a problem with authority. Well, we all do. We all do, Right? So when we say here at Kernan that we want to know what the Bible says and means, what we're really saying here is that we do believe in an absolute standard of right and wrong. And we believe that the Bible tells us what that is. So not only is this core value in our church going against the grain of our surrounding belief and culture around us, It's really going up against the desire for self-autonomy and self-reliance, get this, in our own hearts. Yeah, that's right, me and you, Christian. In our own hearts, we're going to struggle to really want to know what the Bible says because ultimately we do not want to have to answer to it. So, for the rest of the day, I want us to see why that is. Why do we, or why should we, want to know what the Bible has to say about God, about ourselves, and about this world that we live in? So the question we're asking is, why should we? Why should we want to know what the Bible says and means? And there's really four reasons I want to give you, and each of these kind of, uh, these are sequential, so they each build on the point before it. All right, so the first reason we should want to know what the Bible says and means really stems back to this, all truth originates in God himself. All truth 
originates in God himself. Now, the very first words of the Bible tell us that this must be the case. In Genesis 1, verse 1, right? Many of you know this by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So in the beginning, God, period, right? Well, there's a, there's the rest of the sentence there. But in the, in the beginning, God, so there was no one else, right? There was only God. In the beginning, there was God and only God. So nothing else existed. John chapter 1, verse 3 articulates this as well. says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything we see around us in the natural world exists. Why? Because God created it. That's why, right? There was nothing at one time. There was only God, right? And he chose to create. And so everything we see then was a response of his creation. And of course, this includes the truth of the laws of nature, right? So no one questions the laws of nature, right? Like, for, take for example, the law of gravity, okay? Now, I can say to you, you know what? I, I don't, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure about gravity. And I can try to defy this law right now by just jumping off this stage and floating up to the ceiling. You guys wanna see me try? Right, wow, what kind of church is this? He's talking about floating, right? <laughs> but I got news for you. I can only jump about two inches before gravity wins, right? Just, I mean, some of you can beat me. You have a higher vertical, that's great for you. I'm happy for you. For me, about two and a half inches, maybe, right, max. And then gravity just takes over, buddy. I'm on the ground, laying there, and probably calling my wife, asking for help. So, of course, of course, though, no one questions this. We, every single person, we, we know that gravity is real and we don't have a problem with that truth. We don't have a problem with that law. And of course, there are so many other truths that God has set in place that must be true for the earth to support and sustain human life, right? I mean, think about that. Just the exact distance that our planet is from the sun, the exact atmospheric pressure in our atmosphere, the water cycle and how it operates, all of these things, conditions have to be exactly right. Conditions have to be exactly right. And these laws have to be sustained for all time for the earth to sustain human life. So these are truths. These are truths of God that he designed so humanity can flourish on this planet. But if the creator God, if he was so careful to construct a world full of natural law for humans to live in, would it not also make sense for him to also establish moral laws to tell us how we should live within this good creation he made? Well, he did. He did. Right, but here's how. He did not randomly or arbitrarily decide what would be called moral or good. He didn't create everything, right? God did not create everything and then say, okay, all right, so let's see here. I'm going to say, you know what? Ooh, this is good and that's bad, right? He didn't do that. He didn't just start randomly, arbitrarily start looking at things or actions and say, you know what? Let's just say that taking someone else's life is bad, right? Or let's just say that helping someone cross the street is good, right? He didn't just randomly start picking, we'll call this good, we'll call this bad. No, whatever is good, 
Whatever we know to be good, deep in our own conviction and heart and soul, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Supporting someone who is struggling through a difficult circumstance. Christians and atheists agree, this is good. This is a good thing, right? Killing someone unjustly. Christians and atheists agree, this is bad. We shouldn't do this, right? We're not arguing about these things. We know them to be true. We know them to be good. At least we feel that they are good inside of us. But why is that? Because whatever is good, whatever is good and lovely and whatever is right and true around us is so because it directly overflows out of God's very own character. Because he, he is the definition of good. So God himself is the standard of goodness and morality that we see around us. Whatever is good and right and true comes from his own being. In the beginning, God created everything. And he did not arbitrarily decide what would be good. No, what is good comes directly from him. Now, how do we find, how do we find this truth? How do we find, discover what actually is true and good? Well, that leads us to the second reason that we should want to know what the Bible says and means because number two, not only does truth originate in God himself, we know that's how we know the definition of good, but number two, God has revealed his truth to us in the Bible. God has revealed his truth to us in the scriptures, in the Bible. It's amazing. It's amazing enough to see the goodness of God in creation and how all good and right things flow from his very own being. But you know what's really amazing? It is, it is incredibly amazing to think that this same God is not distant from us. That he's not uninterested in our lives. It's incredible that God chose to communicate to his creation, right? He could have just created and he could have known what was good and right and true, but he could have stepped back. He could have just stepped back and said, now let's see if they can figure it out, right? No, no, he knows we're not that smart, <laughs> right? He knows, no, we need the help. We need the help. It's incredible that he chose to communicate with us to reveal his truth to us. And get this, in a language, in a language that we can understand, in written form, in written form that we can have documented and keep with us forever. Like how cool is that? God wants to be known, right? He's not playing a game of cat and mouse with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to be known. And since he is an all-powerful and a God and controls the events of human history, he therefore was sovereign over the process of the writing of Scripture so we can know about him and so that we can know how he has designed for us to love him and to treat each other. It does not make sense for a personal, all-powerful God to just leave us hanging. But it makes perfect sense that he wants us to know him. Therefore, he gave us a way through the words of the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16, right? This is our base verse for this core value. But look at just that first phrase again. All scripture is breathed out by God. 
So yes, we do believe in absolute truth. And yes, we believe the Bible is the authoritative words of a God who wants to be known what and what is actually good and actually true. Again, because he wants us to know him. You see, the Bible, the Bible is not, people have misconceptions about what the Bible is for, right? Maybe, maybe some of you. Maybe some of you have thought all along that the Bible was just kind of a list of things that we need to do, right? A lot of, a lot of random stories of random people doing things in the ancient world, but then here's some snippets of a list of things that I need to do, right, the, to, to build my own spiritual resume and kind of to build an impressive track record of moral performance, and if I can just kind of take some of the nuggets out of the Bible and, and know that I am living up to these standards, right, and living up to these nuggets of truth, whatever I choose for them to be out of the Bible, right, if I can just prove to myself through good moral behavior, a lifetime of decent behavior, trying at least, maybe God will see, maybe he'll see that, that I've tried. And so then maybe, right, maybe when I take my final breath, and I, and I die, and, and I stand before God, maybe he'll say, you know what, Andrew, you, you know, you did, you did pretty good. You, you did okay, right? You made a lot of mistakes, but, but you know, I, I know you read your Bible occasionally, and you tried to live up to some of those truths, and, and man, good, good job, Andrew, right? That's not it. That's not it at all. The Bible is not just a list of rules for you to try to obey. The Bible is not a list of commandments, that you have to obey to under, for God to, to think you're doing great or to impress other people or maybe even just to convince yourself. No. The Bible tells us <laughs> the exact opposite. That we can't. That we can't live up to God's standards. That we cannot. We cannot keep his commands. And ultimately, deep down, we don't want to. But the Bible tells us that we can know God. We can love him. Now, more on that part later. But back to this point of we need to believe and, and understand what the scriptures really are. When you really start to think about, about this, that, that God, that he really you know, was over this process, that he ordained this process for his truth to be communicated to humans through written form and language in a documented book, right? When you think about this, all of a sudden, doesn't the Bible that's sitting on your nightstand or your coffee table or on your bookshelf at home, doesn't it kind of start to look a little more valuable, right? Think about that. I mean, the God who determined how deep the oceans would go, the precise atmospheric pressure on earth needed to sustain life, the exact design and function of a human eyeball the same God who determined all those boundaries and all those parameters and all those laws, he is the one who determined all of these, these things and he is the one who wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you about what's going on in your heart and in your life. He has something to say to you. He has something to say. And he has something to say about himself. He wants you to know who he really is. He wants you to know your true self. 
Not the self-image that you're trying to bolster in front of others or on Facebook or in the public sphere. No, He wants you to know your true self. He wants you to know the human condition. He wants you to know the heart of other people. He wants you to know who you are in light of being His child. He wants you to know how you can truly love and serve others. God has revealed His truth and the way He has created the human psyche to work. He has revealed His truth and the way He has designed relationships to work. He has revealed His truth and the way He has designed for you to bring honor and glory to Him as you were created to do. He has revealed these truths to us in the Bible. So yes, Yes, we want to pick it up and we want to read it and we want to study it and we want to really meditate on its truth and we want to know. We want to know what it says and what it means. And it tells us that the best way, the only way for us to live according to His truth is by submitting our lives to His authority. And this brings us to the third reason we should want to know what the Bible says and means. Number three, we must submit to God's authority. We must submit to God's authority. Now, this goes back to the statistic I shared with you at the beginning, right? 58% of Americans do not believe in absolute moral truth. So while, while no one questions the natural and scientific laws around us, such as gravity, etc., right, that we know God has established these things, but while no one questions those things, right, why do so many question his moral standards, his moral law? Well, again, it's because we don't want to submit to it. We want to exercise what we believe is our right to be our own authority and really answer to no one. This has been a problem since the beginning. Listen to how Jesus articulated this problem to some of the prideful religious leaders of his day. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says to the religious leaders, very prideful, did not believe in him. He says this, he says, you are of your father, the devil. That's a great way to start off a conversation with somebody, isn't it? And, and your will, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now they were deeply offended by these words of Jesus, right? But Jesus knows what he's saying here. And he's saying this for a reason because it's true. He says, he was a murderer, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Ah, do you see that? How do we know what is, all, what is good and right and true? It comes from the character of God. But Jesus says when Satan lies, he's speaking out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now what Jesus is referring to is confirmed in Genesis chapter 3. And this is where we really see this play out. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, right? Thousands of years, so many years before Jesus walked the earth. Look at this, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent, Satan, in the form of a serpent, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
knowing good and evil. You will be like God. What? Are you, what? You're saying I can be kind of like God? Like I can do things the way I want to? I don't have to answer to anyone? I can be like God? I can call the shots? I can decide what is right and wrong for myself? And I don't have to answer to anybody? That sounds like freedom. That sounds like a great way to live. That sounds like freedom. There it is. Do you see it? What Jesus was referring to? No, you're of your father and he's full of lies. He's been lying since the beginning. See, the serpent's lie is really this. God's word to you is not true. There is no standard of absolute truth. You will not suffer any consequences for disobeying God's truth and his word. In fact, you can take his place. Now, this is the crux of it right here. This is it. That's the lie. That's the temptation that we are all facing every single day. No, you, you can be like God. You can be a God. You can take his place. You can be like him. You can be your own authority. He just wants to limit your freedom and your fun. Come on, do your own thing, man. But look at the consequence. The consequence of believing this lie when the creature... When the creature tries to sit in the place of the creator, everything is thrown off. Everything is thrown off. Humanity was no longer then living according to God's design and in the framework of his goodness. So relationships suffer. Your own mental psyche suffers. Everything around you is broken and not functioning according to the way God designed it. Because why? Humans tried to take the throne. We tried to sit where we were never supposed to sit. Now, there's been times where, trust me, in a safe, controlled environment, like our empty church parking lot here at Kernan, I've let my kids sit in my lap and drive my car, okay? <laughs> but, but what if, you know, what if when I'm not looking, one of my kids, they, they get the keys to my car, and, and they get in my car, and, and they get in the driver's seat without me? Right? And, then, and then they start driving around and running into the buildings and trees and everything else. And what do they think? What do they think? They think, oh, this is great. Well, this is great. Look at us. Look at me. I'm driving dad's car. Right? And I have no idea. My, my kids, by the way, are seven, six, and four. So just to paint the picture if you weren't sure. Okay? Right? This is awesome. Look at the freedom we have. Yay! We're sitting in dad's seat. Right? But how's that going to end? Right? How's that going to end? Not well. Right? So if you ever do see a gray Honda Pilot swerving around the parking lot, all right? You know what's going on, okay? <laughs> but that's, that's what Adam and Eve tried to do. You see that? That's what they thought they were doing. Hey, let's sit in dad's seat, right? We don't even need him. He's not here. He won't know, right? Let's just do this. Let's do this and let's drive where we wanna, wherever we want to go. Let's just sit where really only he's supposed to be. So this desire to do this, to take God's seat, it infected the human race. And we've all been trying to do this, right? It's just natural, really, in our DNA. It is just so natural in our own heart since birth. It is just natural for us to try to assert ourselves in the place of God ever since the beginning. But is that real freedom? Like, What is real freedom? How can we really be free? The world tells us it's through personal autonomy. So you decide. But that can't be it. 
That's actually slavery. How so? That's slavery to our own sinful nature. It's slavery to our own desires that go against God's design for how to live in a good world that he created, which, as we've seen, leads to great consequence. It's not freedom. Jesus told us what freedom is. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, He said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we get real freedom? Jesus says if we abide in his word, his word, his truth will set us free. And how is this possible? How is it possible? John tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, he starts his gospel out by saying, in the beginning was the word. Now notice that's capital W, personified, the word personified. In the beginning was the word of God, and the Word was with God, and get this, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who is this capital W Word? Who is the ultimate revelation of God Himself? Who is the one creating all things? Chapter 1, verse 14, skip a few verses down. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ gave up his heavenly freedom to come to earth and subject himself to our sinful mess that we made of it. The Word became flesh. The Word, Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning and created all things, God Himself comes to earth to become one of us, gives up His own freedom, lives a perfect life in our place, the one you and I could never live. In slavery to our own sinful desires against God's design, Jesus lives that life for you and what does he do? He's an innocent man. And what, what happens? Get this. He's an innocent man who voluntarily gives up his freedom, his freedom to be arrested unjustly, to be tried and sentenced to death unjustly. Not what he deserved. That's what you and I deserve. Yet he gives up his freedom. Why? To set you free. He takes your punishment. He takes our punishment and gives us his freedom. His freedom through his death, through his resurrection. What an exchange that is. You want to be free? You want to live in true, absolute freedom? It's not, it's not chasing every little idol of your heart. It's not... 
It's not trying to bolster your self-image constantly. It's not trying to get more money so you'll think you'll be happy and comfortable. It's just not going to be found in any pursuit in this world. That is slavery. Freedom is not just knowing what is right and wrong. Freedom is Christ's righteousness in you. As we learn to live in this newfound freedom in Christ, we want to know more and more than what his word tells us, right? What it says and what it means. And that leads us to number four, our last point today. God's truth transforms. Why should we want to know? Why should we want to know what the Bible says and means? Because God's truth transforms. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, tells us for the word of God, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. I've heard another pastor say, you know, it's not so much that you're reading the Bible as it is the Bible is reading you. That's when you know. That's when you know that you're doing good Bible study. That's when you know that you're really meditating on God's word is when you feel that the Bible is just reading you. And you just sit there and you take it in. You take it in. Because it's going to do two things. It is going to convict you, yes, sure. It's going to convict you. You may feel crummy for a while, but then it is also going to encourage you. It's going to encourage you because it's going to tell you of a story of a man who lived the life you could never live in your place, who's credited to you his righteousness, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in your place. It's going to encourage you. It's going to lift you up. It's going to let you, it's going to open your eyes to the real freedom that you have to live within God's good design that he created for us to live in so that we can flourish according to his will. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3, one more time, let's look at these verses because it tells us, it tells us why God's truth, how God's truth transforms. Paul is telling young pastor Timothy, he's saying, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are what? Able, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures bring, right, the Holy Spirit of God working through the power and the word of God brings us to salvation, but also, look at this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. For what? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Don't you want to be complete? Don't you want to be equipped Don't you want to live in that freedom that God is giving you through Christ? God's truth can really transform us. But oh, how we neglect it. Oh, how we ignore it from time to time. The pursuit of self-autonomy and trying to decide for ourselves what is right. Listen, Christians, we struggle with this. We can't just point fingers at statistics or get angry at the outside world and say that's their problem. It's our problem. 
We are not atheists, but boy, do we live like it practically sometimes. As if God is not there. As if he's not concerned with what you're going through. As if he doesn't understand. As if he doesn't have a plan. As if he has not given you a path forward to move in obedience to what he is calling you to do. You to do. Freedom is just not going to be found in carving out your own way. Freedom is going to be found when you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I don't have the way, but you, you, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Would you shape my heart? Would you shape my thoughts to love you, to serve others, and to live within the good design you've created in this world for my life to bring ultimate glory to you? And that's not easy for us to admit that we need that. But that's where it starts, with humility before our God. Just crying out to Him and just confessing, Lord, this is what I need. I need you. And I can't do it on my own. And I'm sorry for trying to to create my own path, trying to be free, free away from you, but that is not freedom at all. Lord, let me live in your freedom. There's not going to be a closing song today because, you know, Kyle's not here today. We, we pray that he gets to feeling better. But, however, I want us to pray in just a second. And I want us to pray and ask the Lord and just really just confess, just have a moment of prayer where we confess to the Lord, Lord, perhaps, perhaps this is me. I've been trying to create my own path of freedom, and really it's slavery. So what do you need to acknowledge today to God? What do you need to acknowledge to him and just say, Lord, I, I'm just not sure?